You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with assurity that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith. I hope you are well and I hope you're washing your hands. The world is a topsy-turvy place right now, full of uncertainty and fear for the future. And the world is collectively holding its breath, just hoping and praying that things don't get worse and that life regains some form of normalcy soon. This may very well be the scariest and most uncertain time in your life, and it's not a situation to be taken lightly. People all around the world are sick and dying, millions are out of work, not knowing if their industries will survive the shutdown, not knowing if they will even have a job to return to, not to mention the fear that they, or someone they love, will perish before, they, before things calm down. As bad as things are right now, as bad as they may become, this is far from being the first time of great unrest and anxiety. And it isn't even the first such time in my life. And both the Oklahoma City bombing and two separate terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in New York happened during my life. Previous generations were called to fight in Vietnam taught to hide under their desk in the event of a nuclear blast during the Cold War. And I've seen the videos of the nuclear test and I have no idea what hiding under a desk was actually supposed to accomplish because whenever the blast would go off, everything within the blast radius would be completely destroyed and melted. And Anyway, I'm getting off track. Uh, They were living in fear that every day may be the last day of humanity that it may be the day humanity ends and that any survivors would be would have to suffer through nuclear winter. Previous generations went through civil wars, two world wars, a great depression, famine, ethnic cleansings, apartheid, fires, floods, natural disasters of epic proportions, as well as the many pandemics that ravaged the world. No, this isn't the first time the world has been a scary place. But that does not make the trials we face any less real or any less urgent. My entire childhood was full of fears and uncertainties, and since I grew up in an extremely impoverished family, there were often times when I had no idea when or if I would get to eat again. And any visit to the hospital or clinic was all but out of the question. I remember one time when I was a child when both my older sister and I had the whooping cough and we didn't have any money to see a doctor and we didn't have any money for medicine and little or no food. At times during our illness, my mother had the very real fear that either that either me or my sister or both of us would be overcome by the illness and die. Strangely, what I remember the most about that time was not how sick and miserable I was, but rather how awesomely delicious the watermelon was that a nice man gave us out of the kindness of his heart. 
I also remember a random fact that the man had a horse and he named his horse Jughead, but that's not really relevant. There have been times when every member of my immediate family was deathly ill at the same time, and because of lack of money and opportunity, we ran out of both food and the means to heat the house. It would have been easy and even understandable to throw up our hands in a circumstance like that and to give up and to direct all of our anger to God, or to simply abandon all faith. Despite all of that, however, I don't think a single day of my life passed without me witnessing my mother praying, mostly after my sisters and I had gone to bed and my mother thought we were asleep. I often saw my mother kneeling down, praying by a stepladder that we kept in the house, Though as a small child, I didn't fully understand what was going on, and one day the curiosity got the better of me, and I asked my mother about it. And I said, Mom, why are you always on your knees talking to the ladder? My mother had me sit on her lap, and she told me all about God and why she prayed. And I recall asking her why she continued to pray even when things did not seem to change. And she told me that God loves us and that we are to trust God and pray to Him regardless of how good or bad things are in our lives, and to trust that He has our best interest at heart. Growing up, I always wanted to be- I always believed in God, but admittedly, I didn't always trust Him or believe that He had my best interest at heart. Don't get me wrong, I truly wanted to believe that God was always looking out for me, but daily life made it difficult to believe that that it was so. As I've mentioned numerous times in my podcast and blogs, my father was a failed preacher who used the Bible, taken out of context, to justify his horrible actions, and he was an overly unpleasant and narcissistic individual who made the lives of all he interacted with difficult and unpleasant. I remember numerous times when my mother would work long and hard to provide money for the family and my father would selfishly blow it on himself or gamble it away at a casino. Somehow, despite the horrible, despite how horrible my father was, uh, my mother never said a bad thing about him in my presence or that of my sisters, as she wanted us to form her own opinion about him and didn't think that it was right for her to speak ill about our father to us. However, I could not ignore the obvious fact that he did not respect her, treated her poorly, and often made her cry. I remember numerous times when my parents would argue because my mother would earn money and my father would blow it before we could buy things that we needed. One time, my mother had managed to save enough money to buy essential groceries, but and I went with my mother in the store, but when we got to the register, we realized that someone had stolen her purse and that we were flat broke. There's nothing quite so humiliating as putting groceries back because you can't afford them, and that's a feeling I grew up experiencing. There are a lot of stories about wonderful people who step in and pay for people's groceries in such circumstances, but this was not one of those times, and we wound up eating food out of a dumpster. And that was far from being the only time that we did, and there were definitely times when we got food poisoning as a result. Sometimes I'm amazed that I survived childhood. I couldn't see it then, but looking back, I can clearly see that God had his hand in my life from the start, and that it's only through the mercy and grace of God that I'm alive. When I was in, in college, 
In one of my classes, we were reading a story in which one of the characters was eating food out of the dumpster. And one of the other students said, no one actually eats out of a dumpster. No one is ever that hard up. At that point, I spoke up and said, actually, I've eaten out of a dumpster on many occasions. Everyone, including the professor, was surprised. And for the rest of the class period that day, everyone asked me questions about what it was like to be that poor. I'm not rich now, far from it, but I have a steady and reliable employment, at least for the time being. Who knows with this virus? And I have a roof over my head that I own. And I have a car, a boat, a motorcycle, and I always have food and heat. I've been richly blessed in life, and despite what some people think, blessings are not always realized through money or the accumulation of things. Despite how many blessings I've had in my life, there have been more than a few times when I've been left holding the bag with no idea how to proceed. But just because you don't know what to do and are uncertain of the future, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or that he has forgotten about you. When Jesus called the apostles, they left their careers to follow him, thinking that he was going to overthrow Rome and lead the Jewish people to physical freedom, likely hoping for a place of prominence in his government. But since they did not pay as much attention to his teachings as they should have, but instead heard what they wanted to hear, their world came crashing down around their heads when Jesus died and they were left wondering, where do we go from here? When Jesus died, the apostles felt lost and afraid. And to them, it seemed as if all was lost and that everything that they had done for the past few years was for naught. When Jesus came back to visit the apostles, they were not boldly preaching the resurrection. They were hiding in fear from the rulers of the Jews, with the curtains drawn and the doors locked. And it says in John 20, 19-22, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Even after the apostles knew that Jesus had risen, even after he told them that he was sending them out to share the good news, they returned to their previous lives and their previous professions. When Jesus next visited the apostles, they were fishing. And I've heard some people say, well, there's nothing wrong with fishing. And as a fisherman, I wholeheartedly agree. First off, the, the apostles were not fishing recreationally. They were fishing commercially. And while there is also nothing wrong with fishing as a profession, the thing that was wrong is that the apostles gave up on what they were called to do and went back to their old lives. Basically, they said, where do we go from here? And instead of doing what Jesus called them to do, they went back to what was familiar. In John chapter 21, we read about the encounter. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. There was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. Now, right here, you see, I think the reason Jesus asks him for fish is that, you know, Jesus didn't either help. Uh, he already had fish. But I think it's that he wanted them to know that, first, that it's all about him and not about them, but also that he's letting them help. Anyhow, back to the story. The other disciple... Um, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And see, and I think the reason Jesus had them catch so many fish is because they had given up what he'd asked them to do in order to go back to their old life. And right here, he was giving them a real choice. This would be a career-making catch. And he was telling them they, could, they really had to make a choice between going back to their old life or following him and doing what he had asked them to do. Anyhow, uh, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? 
When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And you know, I think that's interesting. That's something that people never outgrow. I mean, whenever one kid gets in trouble for something and they're given their punishment, they always say about their sibling, well, what about him? What about John? Well, because Jesus just told Peter that he was basically going to, uh, that he was going to die a painful death for the Lord. And so he says, well, what about John? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? Basically, uh, you follow me. Basically, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. Don't worry about John. I'll worry about John. Uh, and then the story continues. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's it to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things. He wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And now, it's okay to have concerns and to be a little afraid, but don't let the fear consume you. And remember that even if God doesn't take you out of the storm, He's with you through the storm. We may not know what the future holds, all we, and all we may be able to see is, a, is one or two steps in front of us. But as Ralph Albernathy said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. And please do your best not to get infected or to infect anybody else. And please, wash your hands. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.